Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate it so much from the bottom of my heart. Today we have a very, very interesting episode. It has now been a week or so since the tragic, horrific uh, shooting that happened in Uvalde, Texas. Um, And now it's time that the smoke has cleared a little bit. We have a little bit more information in. And I think it's time that we dive deeper into this topic. Now, the first episode that we did on Uvalde was basically about how our politicians' reactions were just completely inappropriate, uh, how it was almost saddening to see the politicization of the way that our politicians just kind of went about addressing this, right, from from President Biden to Kamala Harris. Basically, everything that they had to say about the shooting had to do in some way with gun control, in some way with, you know, shaming other politicians, um, and so today we're going to kind of look at the facts, right? There, there's a, a lot of different controversies that have come out of this. Um, there's a lot of different viewpoints that people have when it comes to this situation. And we're going to touch on all of them. I'm going to try and take as much as I possibly can a non-biased approach in explaining to you guys the three, what I believe to be the three most common belief systems surrounding Uvalde, Texas and the shooting that occurred. Okay. So I'll take you through what those three things are, okay? The first viewpoint that I see being somewhat common is that it was a tragic, terrible, horrible event, right? The police did everything they could. They they were in there according to some sources. Um, They didn't wait outside. Um, They did what, what they should have done, okay? That's one viewpoint. The next viewpoint is that it was a terrible tragedy. It was horrific, and the police... The, the sheriffs, the whoever was on the scene at the time, did not do exactly what they should have done. They did not go in soon enough. Um, they did not, you know, follow their own guidelines of their own, you know, uh, books and, and trainings that they had on this that somebody dug up where it, it speaks about how to address the situation. Um, so that's the secondary ab- uh, approach to this is that not only was it, you know, obviously it was a terrible, horrific tragedy. And, um, but also the fact that maybe there should have been a a, a different response. Okay. And then the third one, the most controversial opinion on this topic is that, uh, something that we've been seeing a lot around is questioning the narrative. Okay. Now I have to tread quite lightly on that side of things. Um, we, we, like I said, this is going to be to the best of my abilities, a non-biased approach to 
going over what these viewpoints are, why people may believe that the police did do the right thing, why people believe maybe they didn't do the wrong thing, and why people believe uh, or disbelieve the narrative that has been going on here. Okay, now you'll see I have to tiptoe pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty well with the way that I'm going to approach this, but I will try my best. Um, so though that is going to be our episode. All right. That's what we're going to be touching on the three different kind of viewpoints on that today. Um, so I hope you stick around. It's going to be a great episode. I have a lot more things kind of, uh, organized for this podcast. I, I think it could be fairly clumsy if I just went about it my normal way where I just kind of, you know, frivolously talk like I'm sitting at the bar with you. <laughs> so I put it together a little bit of a, a little, a little, a uh, couple few points that I want to touch on and, and some things. So um, again, thank you so much for listening. If you could go ahead and hit that subscribe button. All right. It takes, takes five seconds out of your day. That's it. Just takes five seconds. You know, if there's one thing that you can do right now that will make somebody's day that will give you good karma is to hit that subscribe button. It takes five seconds. It means the world to me, it means the world to my family. It means the world um, to, to how much effort and energy that I put into this. Um, so hit that subscribe button. If you're on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever the hell you are right now, listening to this podcast, subscribe and leave a five-star review. That's the biggest thing. If you've subscribed, but you haven't left a review, it means the world to me. I'm sitting at 99 reviews right now. How is that acceptable? <laughs> One more and I hit a hundred. So let yourself be that hundredth review. Um, again, it would mean the world to me. Uh, just write down what you think, you know, your favorite episode, whatever the hell it is that you want to write down in there, write down something that helps us get more um, higher up on the algorithms for Apple Podcasts and some other things. So again, that's all I got for you right now. Um, thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, hit that five-star review button. Thank you. All right. Now, the very first part of this that I would like to talk to um, is kind of some of the sources surrounding the way that I've been kind of gaining my uh, perspective on this. Okay. Now it's very difficult when, you know, every day in, in every scenario right now, it's difficult to touch on, um, or really get, try to get a non-biased opinion. So there's a few new sources that I follow. And, and the one that I've been seeing do the best job following the Uvalde, Texas shooting to this point has been a not so small. I started following this, this, uh, Instagram account probably at the very beginning of the Maxwell trials. I think we probably started our accounts around the same exact time. Um, and they've just been crushing it. It's, it's, it's a, a great platform. It's where I get a lot of my, what, what I feel to be a non-biased opinions, um, and some really like boots on the ground, hard nose, badass journalists, um, and that is real news, no bullshit on Instagram. Um, I think they got a website. I don't know what the URL is, but real news, no bullshit on Instagram. It has a tremendous, I mean, they are literally in Uvalde the last several days interviewing from what I've seen so far. They went and knocked on the door of the parents of the shooter. Okay. He has no name to me. He is a nobody. He's the, the horrific shooter in this incident. So he has no name, but he, they knocked on his parents door. And uh, the, the, I guess the mom answered. She said dude, she didn't want to talk to him. Um, so then the uh, father came out and asked them to leave. They respectfully said, okay. They walked away. Um, they did not push any further, but they wanted to at least see if they could get a comment. Okay, now when they did that, they actually got a man from across the street who declined being on camera, but they showed a little bit of him 
um, during this conversation. And they interviewed this individual. Now, I'm not going to show this this direct uh, interview, but it had some key highlighted points. It was fairly long. Um, but the key points to me were that this individual said that he was like the the the, the town dad, right? They were they, this um, shooter lived in a trailer park in Uvalde, Texas. This guy said that, you know, I had all the kids come over. He had a pool table downstairs. They all like to play video games. He said they didn't really see anything off about this individual. Um, it had been a couple of years since he had been over there. Uh, but what he felt was that, you know, it was, it was, uh, there were some key points that he had regarding the parents in this situation. Okay. So they interviewed this guy who was across the street from where the mom lived of the shooter. And what he said was that, first of all, he had no expenses, right? There's all this talk around where did he get all the ammo? Where did he get the, the, the um, you know, the Daniel Defense M4? Where did he get the other, you know, rifle? Where did he get the, you know, all of this, all this conversation surrounding the, the financial aspects of it. And he said, well, he had no bills, right? I guess the, somebody, I saw a few times that the guy worked at Wendy's. I don't see anywhere that that's been substantiated. Uh, but I think it's interesting. So he said there's, he didn't think he had any bills. Now the individual, the shooter in this case, um, lived with his grandma. Okay. The mom, according to this guy who lived across the street from her was, uh, according to him hooked on what he called ice, which is methamphetamines. And, uh, and so her boyfriend got her hooked on meth and it was a horrible situation and they got in all sorts of arguments. And so after a while, um, he ended up moving in with his grandma. Okay, now what I think was the key point from that interview was actually that he the, he said that um, the grandma owned the trailer that the mom lived in of the shooter. Okay, owned the trailer, the grandma did. Now he went to live with the grandma. The grandma, if you recall the actual facts of the situation, ended up being the first victim of his shooting spree. And so um, now... The key point that I want to take from that interview was that he said that two days prior, two days prior to this individual going and shooting this school up in, in Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, two days prior, the grandma was trying to evict his mother from their trailer because she was trying to sell it. Now, the mother's response specifically was that she was going to burn them, according to this man burn the motherfucker down if before she'd let her get evicted. Okay. So apparently there was a very heated exchange between the grandma, between the mother um, about her getting evicted from the, t uh, from the trailer that she owned, the grandma owned. Okay. Now, if you want to talk about a motive, right, I've seen enough law and order to know that, that that's a potential motive, right? That's a, a heated exchange between somebody that he feels dearly about um, so I think that's really important. Now, an even more interesting point about that is the fact that they, the police never even interviewed this man, never, never interviewed this man once. He said he even went up to them and talked to them and like never, not a single person came up to him. He like came out there and found real news, no bullshit over by the trailer and like, Hey, you guys want to come talk to me? So he like sought them out. It wasn't that hard. Okay, so um, interesting point that the police have yet to interview this man, a man who lives right across the street, who has the potential idea of what the motive was in this situation. You think that that might be an interesting individual 
for these police officers, the FBI, whoever the hell is on this case, I'm sure Scooby-Doo and all his friends are there too. You'd think that this man would be a person of interest for them to interview, especially if he knows something about what was happening, about the lives, about the mom's drug addictions, about the the um, relationship between the grandma and the mother, about, you know, so so many intricate parts of this relationship. He literally had a front row seat to, to this house and everything that happened there. Okay, so why is the police not interviewing this man? Why are they not talking to somebody who claims that two days prior there was a huge altercation at this house. Why? Why are they not talking to this man? Okay. So I think that's interesting. Now, the next thing that they discussed, um, or the next part of their story, which I'll play some of it here for you. I, I, I kind of want to get away from playing too, too many longer clips for you guys. Um, so I'm going to try in my best to tell these stories <laughs> for you. Now, the next individual that they interviewed, um, and again, this is real news, no bullshit on Instagram, tremendous journalism. The next person that they interviewed was a Border Patrol agent who drove 85 miles from 85 miles away at like 150 miles per hour. He doesn't say how fast he's going. They go like 100. He's like, yeah, faster than that. 85 miles. This man got there in 40 minutes. Somebody out there is much better at math than me and you guys can do the math. But 85 miles in about 40 minutes. And uh, he said that he got there and I'll play a little bit of this clip here. I think maybe we'll, we'll touch on this, but basically what this man says is that he got there. He was curious. As soon as he got there, it took him. So it took him 45 minutes to get there. They radioed in. It was 45 minutes. This man hauls ass 85 miles away from the border. Let's go of four illegal immigrants so that he can go handle this situation gets there. And the shooter still not taken care of. Right, they're sitting outside. He said. Now, this is an important key point because there's been a lot of back and forth here when it comes to were they outside, were they inside, and we're going to dive deeper into those conversations. But I think it's important to note that this border patrol agent said that he got there and they weren't in there. They still hadn't shot him. He was still in there. They retreated, according to this man. They went in initially. They received fire and then they retreated, right? No injuries, no police are dead, right? At least from my knowledge, I don't believe any police died. If they did, that's horrific too. Um, but it, it, it tells me something that he was on scene at the time. He was there and he says they went in and then they went out. They left the area. You know, the area that was being shot up by a single individual while there's 18, 20, however many guys sitting out there with their rifles ready and able and obviously not willing, but ready and able to be able to go in there, right? Was it a, a, a breakdown in the chain of command? Was it a retreat because they weren't tactically ready? Was it? I don't know. But what I do know is that it should not take that long to get into a building. Now, I said I would be non-biased. <laughs> I'm going to try and retract, uh, not retract, because I believe every one of those things that I just said to you. But let's touch on the first topic here, which I think is important. Now, one thing I think is, is an important issue to touch on, too, is, you know, a lot of people are saying, why is this happening in the U.S.? Right? Why is this happening in the United States more than any other country? Right? Is it the access to guns? Because that's, you know, it's a contributing factor, according to these people. 
Why does the U.S. have a higher percentage of these mass shootings accord, uh, compared to other countries? Why? And I think that's an interesting question, and I think it's an important question. I think it's something that we have to deal with head on, and I think it's something that we have to take an educated, non-emotional approach to answering. And so here's my thought on that, okay? So when, when I, I believe when things, so there's a good example I have this that will kind of drive this point home for you. But, but so when, when it's something is in the human consciousness, the Jungian theory of the, uh, of the greater consciousness, right? Of, of the, the consciousness of humanity that's all intertwined, right? Um, there, there, if you don't know anything about that theory, you should go look it up. But basically the idea is that there's a, a collective unconscious is the actual term for it, okay? Now, when something is happening in the universe, in the, in, the, in the ether, in the ether, when something's happening in the ether, it, it, it goes across the consciousness of all the individuals who are intertwined with that individual, okay? So, in this particular situation, it is a part of the U United States of America's human collective unconscious that these shootings have been happening for a while now. Now, I posted a statistic today, and what I said was, on this day, CNN was founded 42 years ago. Since that date that CNN was founded 42 years ago, school shootings have increased by 100% per decade for the last four decades. So, under the logic of the gun argument, it would be just, it would make just as much sense that we, I don't know, ban CNN as it is to ban weapons. There's a correlation. And if you look deep enough into anything, you can always find some way to connect the strings. And that's what we see our politicians doing here is they find a string, they pull on it. It's something that they've wanted to do all along and they're utilizing this as a platform to do so. Okay. So if you look deep enough into any one of these, any specific piece of data, usually you can find some way to play mental gymnastics and find that to be the root cause. So in this individual case, I think the reason that we have a higher percentage of these shootings in the United States is because of that collective unconscious, the same way that, um, you know, and it gets romanticized in these terrible, you know, really deeply distraught communities of like, you know, the, the, the deep, dark uh, corners of shadows of the internet. Right. I, I, I would see it easily being romanticized, people watching the Columbine shootings and like, you know, all sorts of terrible things. Now, there's a, the analogy that I'm speaking on that I think speaks to this the most is that there was a book that was written surrounding the difference in manifestations of mental health issues. And so what this book kind of outlined was the trans movement having something to do with a new manifestation of the same mental illnesses, because what it correlated, you know, and again, I'll say it, I just talked about it. You can correlate a lot of things. But what this book outlined for you is how the percentage of in, young individuals who were uh, having mental illnesses that were presenting themselves in the way of bulimia and anorexia had that same amount that went away, like the, the same statistical amount that did not, did no longer identify as having bulimia or anorexia or had these, you know, actually psychological evaluations to do so. The same percentage that were normally presenting their mental health issues as anorexia and bulimia, we're now presenting them in this, you know, transgender, gender dysphoria, whatever this book wanted to outline it as. Okay. So my point with that is it's a manifestation. It's, it's the, you know, the collective unconscious way for a manifestation of these mental health issues. Okay. So that's just, that, that is a, a piece of the puzzle. I'm not saying that's why it happens most often in the United States. I do think that there's a conversation to be had surrounding weapons, 
right? Surrounding, you know, the amount of weapons that we have. However, there's definitely contradicting data points. Like I believe it's Iceland that's far more armed than we are. It has far more guns per individual per thousand and has far less gun crimes. Okay. So there's contradicting evidence for that. But I do think that there's absolutely something to that collective unconscious. And I do believe that with it being such a hot topic in the United States, it's always deemed to repeat itself because now the sick individuals who have the most rotted mental, uh, I don't know, state find a, now know the way that they can get the most attention out of, out of their anguish, right? And how they get their name on every news station, right? And it's gross and it's sick and it's horrible, but it's a manifestation of those mental health issues. And the mental health issues that, you know, some politicians even went as far as to say is he has no mental health issues. Really? He has no mental health issues because there's no way that you're able to do this horrific act unless you have some type of horrific mental health issue. Okay. Anyways, let's go back to the original point here. Okay. So the three parts of this conversation, the first one's going to be, this is a horrible tragedy, right? The three different perspectives on this shooting. The first one is this is a horrible tragedy. It's terrible what happened. The police did everything right. It's happenstance. There's nothing we could have done to improve this situation. Um, it's just terrible, right? The cops did everything right, right? There's That's the, the main point, okay? Now, there was a video that came up where a teacher that was within the building came out and said that she believed the cops were in the building, Okay. She believed that the cops were there at the moment. They were trying to help us. And she goes on to say that she, you know, who's ever saying this, and she doesn't say this specifically, but basically she was outlining the fact that the cops were in there. Now, when we go into the next part of the conversation, we'll realize that there is evidence to show that they were in there, just like that individual who I was talking about earlier, that Border Patrol agent, who said that they came in there, then they retreated. Then they went and sat in the parking lot for 55 60 minutes. And then they decided, oh, well, you know, we're still not going to go in until this border patrol agent that was off duty went against their orders and went and took him down. Okay. So, but there is an individual who says that they were in there. It's a very, 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 it's a, it's a, it doesn't have much substance to it to me because there's already evidence showing that they went in there initially, but then they retreated, pulled out according to this border patrol agent who was there at the time and then they went back in. So she could be very well referencing the, the initial part where they went in there before and then actually retreated because how would she know? She was sitting in a, uh, uh, um, you know, a schoolroom by herself with her kids, right? And it's chaos. How would she know exactly what's going on? I'm not saying she's not telling the truth. What I am saying is they went in initially according to other accounts, then they retreated out, then they went back in 55, 60 minutes later. So that doesn't you know, disprove anything that we're talking about here. But it does give a talking point to the individuals who are saying that they did everything right. Nothing could have changed. And this is a horrific event and we shouldn't be pointing fingers and maybe we should be looking at policy reform and all these other things. Okay. Which isn't wrong. Right. Isn't wrong in some sense. And the fact that, you know, obviously we have to have a deeper conversation around why these issues are happening. But also, if we have a police force that's sitting there with rifles Get your ass in there and save the kids. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. And we're going to outline an incredible story of a mother who did just that to save her children after being handcuffed by these police officers. Got out of the handcuffs. 
All right. We're going to talk on that in the, on the next portion of this. So we're going to talk on that mother because it's truly an incredible, you know, badass mama bear moment. Really, truly one of the heroes of this day was this mother who jumped the fence after being handcuffed, placed on the ground, went in there, got into the building and saved her children, walked out with them. Incredible. But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss more of that detail in a minute here. Okay. So, so another point to this though is, is to me is like, what, what would be frustrating is if you were a teacher, like think of a teacher, I I feel uncomfortable sending my children to, I have children, (laughs) I have children. And when these things happen, right, when the Oxford shooting happened uh, a few months ago, um, it was much more near me than Uvalde, Texas. Um, It hit really close to home. And so um, it was really difficult the next day. It's like, it's concerning. I, I place my child in the, the care of somebody else and I have no, I'm powerless, right? And if some, if I'm in a room and something shit like that's happening or going down, I know I can do something about it. But to place your children in a situation like that a day or two after, because again, that collective unconsciousness, that Jungian collective unconsciousness around those days presents itself in copycats. We've seen it. When it came to the to, when it came down to the Oxford shooting, the days preceding that, there was all the schools in the local area shut down because there were so many threats. So many stupid ass 16-year-olds, 15-year-olds posting on their Snapchat story that they were going to do the same thing, like all this gross disgustingness that was going on after of all these people threatening to be copycats in this situation. Um so it, it's very uncomfortable as a parent to send your child to school after this week. I've still feel like dropped my daughter off at school today. Still feels weird. Don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I don't like being out of the control of my child's safety, right? Especially when these things are happening. And especially when the percentage likelihood that these things will repeat themselves around these dates come up again, right? The likelihood that that collective unconscious is coming together and some other super messed up, mentally unhealthy individual who bought, worth of guns and ammo decides that he wants to put his name up on CNN's lights too. Right? So so they go into the situation and and just the likelihood, the collective unconsciousness is surrounding that, that action. And then they see the outcome. They see that these people, you know, their, their names everywhere. They're famous, right? And they're, they're infamous, right? And when you're in that sick, disgusting, horrific place, it almost becomes romanticized. Like I said earlier, so as a parent, it's uncomfortable. Now, I also can't imagine being a teacher in this situation. Can't imagine being a teacher in this situation, right? Imagine if there was a, a, a massive shooting where somebody went into an accountant's building. Just accountants, right? Accountants. They went into accounting, an accountant's building and they shot up 20 accountants. And you're an accountant. The next day, you got to show up at your cubicle and go to work Like a bunch of accountants didn't just get killed in an accountant's building yesterday. Now you expect our kids to go into that situation, but also to expect the teacher, right? To also expect the teacher who is old enough to know what happened, is old enough to be extremely scared of this situation. And so I put myself in those shoes and I know the first thing I would want to do if I was a teacher the very next day or if I was an accountant and there was all these shootings happening where accountants were dying, in massive droves, what am I going to want to do? I'm going to want to protect myself, right? I'm going to want to do everything I can to put myself 
out of harm's way and to be able to defend myself if something like this happens. And how do you do that? Because our police showed that even if you've got 20 guys with bulletproof vests on, the area completely cordoned off in 35 rifles, then maybe you're still not going to go in. So I need to be able to defend myself. And if I'm a teacher and you tell me you can't carry a weapon in to defend yourself or your children that you feel responsible for tomorrow when you go to work the day after a shooting like this happens, that's terrifying. That's like, if you're a teacher, the first thing I would want to do if I was a teacher is to carry in school, is to defend myself, is to, I feel responsible for these children. I feel like, you know, they spend more time with me as they do with their parents during the school year. Why would I not feel responsible for these children? And I want to defend them. And how can I do that if you're going to strip it away from me and not allow me to carry the, a half of the firepower of somebody who's willing to come in here and commit harm on these children and harm on me? I want to carry a weapon and I should be able to defend myself. Now, another thing that came from that interview was the fact that teachers in the local school area of the sheriff, I believe it was a sheriff, might have been, I don't know, some type of law enforcement officer that they were interviewing, again, on Real, Real News, no bullshit. Um, the individual that they were interviewing said that in 2018, there was legislation passed in their county that allowed for teachers to carry. How different, how different could this situation have turned out? There was one individual in that school who carried, who was near this shooting and was able to immediately respond and do something or even able to defend themselves when this coward walks into their room intending on doing these children harm. And to strip them of that right, no school zone sign that says gun-free zone has ever stopped a school. You think some guy who's in this state of mind that's completely mentally unhealthy and unfit walks up to a school with his AR-15, his assault rifle, sees the sign and goes, ah, shit, can't go in here. It's a gun-free zone. Not going to shoot these kids. No, that's never happened ever, ever. A gun-free zone sign has yet to have any statistical significance in stopping mass shootings. And it's, the sign is just the physical part of it. it. That means the policies don't work. The policies, the laws that you implement are not going to stop somebody because if they're willing to walk into a school and shoot 19 children, if that's where their mental state's at, do you think uh, making it difficult for them to purchase a firearm is going to prevent them from doing so? Do you think that putting a gun-free zone sign up on your school or not allowing your... Has there ever been a teacher? Has there ever been a teacher that's committed a mass shooting? Ever. Point me to one. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's happened. I don't know. But I've never heard of it if it has happened. So you're not going to allow that teacher to defend himself or herself. You're not going to allow them to defend their children that they feel responsible for. And you're going to put a sign out front and say, we got this. Right? There, nobody's going to come in here. It's sick. It makes no sense. There's no logical explanation as to why any type of legislation would actually prevent this from happening. Not a gun-free zone, which is shown, again, I talked about this on our last episode where we discussed this two episodes ago, 
where it manifests itself in Chicago and New York and LA, which have the strictest gun laws in the country, but you'll still have the highest murder rates of per capita of almost anywhere in the entire world. So we found that policy legislation doesn't seem to have an effect. Again, please tell me I'm wrong. Leave a comment, email me, whatever. Tell me I'm wrong. Show me, point me to a teacher that's ever went through with a mass shooting on their children, the children they're responsible for. Show me that. Tell me I'm wrong. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I've never heard of it. Okay? So that leads us to the next portion of this, which is the idea that, okay, it's a horrific tragedy, right? And again, to highlight what we're going to discuss here, the first one that we just discussed was, it's a horrible tragedy. Everybody did everything right which I don't know if I did very non-biasly there, um, but it's, it's difficult for me because I, I just, it, it's hard for me to look through the evidence that's been proposed. And, and, you know, I have the utmost respect, utmost respect for police officers, the utmost respect for border patrol agents, for anybody who in a daily basis puts themselves in harm's way for the greater good of humanity. But I have that respect because you put yourself in harm's way for the better of humanity. Now, if you take that position and there's 17 other men who would have walked in that building and done something, because you bet your ass, if my daughter's in that school and I'm driving there, you know what I'm doing is I'm stopping at home. I'm grabbing everything I need to go in there. And I'm walking right past these cops. And if they try and stop me, I'm going to tell them to shoot me in the head. And I'm going to have somebody video recording it so that I can show that you are more likely to shoot the parent who is going to do something because you're being a coward than you were to go in that building and save those children. And that's what it took. It took one man who decided enough was enough. Because could you imagine standing outside of that school and hearing those sounds? And just having to witness it, just having to sit there, wait on your chain of command. Fuck that. So, the individual that did go in there was actually an off-duty Border Patrol agent who did so against the wishes of the police that were there. So, had this individual not gone against police orders and not gone in there, how many more lives would have been lost? How many more children would not have seen their parents that night? It's sickening to me that this happened and it went down the way that it did. So there was documents that came up, documents that were released recently that showed in the Uvalde school district that they had active shooter training two months prior. They went over everything that they should have done. Nothing. Nothing in these documents said that they were supposed to wait outside for 90 minutes. Not a single part of the documents. You know what the documents did say? The documents said that you go in there regardless of your own safety. The documents said whether you have, I don't know, 20 people standing outside with rifles or there's one of you, you go in that building because that's your job. And if you don't want to do it, I completely understand. Most people are not cut out 
to walk in that building and do the things that you would need to do to take care of the situation. I understand. Completely get it. Very few people are cut out to pull that trigger. Very few people are cut out to open that door against gunfire and go in and do something about this. Very few people are built that way. And if you're not, step down, find a different job, and let another individual who's willing, ready, and able to go in there to stop a situation like this from occurring. Because if you take on the job of a police officer and you just think you're going to be doing traffic stops all day, you're in for a rude awakening when you get a call like this. You're in the wrong profession. And again, I'm not knocking anybody who doesn't want to go into a building where there's somebody with a a rifle shooting at you. I get it. You got kids, you got family, you got a life ahead of you too, but you're in the wrong job. Now, I have some people that are close to me that are pretty big influencers in the police space that I highly respect that has a differing opinion on this. And, um, and I get it. And I hope we start hearing some information that's countering this. Maybe everything was done right. And that would be ideal to me. It's, it's terrible, terrible that this happened. And it's even more terrible that we, get to, we have to sit here and wonder what could have been done. Not even why. Because why is a hard enough question in itself. But could there have been a different outcome if we had a different action? And that's even more difficult to wrestle with. Because why is one person, why did he do these things? But why did the outcome not differ because of these large amounts of individuals? Cop cars on cop cars on cop cars. At least 20 men sitting out there with similar uh, weaponry as this individual had in there. Just sitting out there. And you know where they were facing? Away from the damn school. And you know who they were facing? The parents. The parents who were screaming and crying in agony. And all they wanted to do was go inside. They were literally saying, I will go inside. I don't even need your weapon. I'm going in there. And they literally put a mom in handcuffs. And the only reason she got out of the handcuffs was because she knew three of the officers and they went up to the, whoever was in charge in the area and said, she's fine. She's not going to do anything. And then she tiptoed her way back and jumped a fence and got her damn two children, like the fucking bad mama bear that she was to go do this because that's awesome. That's a hero. That's who I want wearing that vest. That's who I want going in there with an AR. That's the person who has the balls to take on that job and know what's at stake when you don't address it properly. And so I do want to read this article about this mom because I just think that's probably one of the most incredible, incredible stories that I've ever heard. This woman screaming and crying and wants to save her children in this school. She's yelling at these police officers, go in there, go in there. Why are you not going in there? Enough to where these police put her in handcuffs on the ground. Like she's a criminal for wanting to save her child's life. So here's the article. The article says cops handcuffed mom amid Texas school shooting before she jumped fence, ran inside and saved her kids. That's 
incredible. And these are the type of stories. These are the type of people that we want in these positions who are going to go in and save your child, save my child in a case like this. Not 19 men sitting out there with rifles, scared of going in, right? And again, maybe we'll find out I'm wrong. And I hope that I am because that's, that's even more difficult to wrestle with than the why. Because the why will never have an answer. There's a clear answer to this. There's a clear reason or, or there's a clear uh, breakdown in the chain of command. There's a clear issue with the way that this was addressed. And it could have been prevented. It's very difficult to look at this individual, to look at this shooter, to look at this coward and say, we could have done more. We could have prevented this. We could have stopped him. I didn't know his mom. I didn't know his dad. I didn't know what he was going through. Either did anybody else. But there was at least 20 cops sitting outside with rifles who could have gone in. And that is much more difficult to wrestle with as a parent than it is to go, why did this one sick person do these horrific things? Because again, there will never be an answer to that. Never. You'll never have a proper answer to that. But to go, to feel that you were let down by the police, the very people that you entrust your safety and your child's safety to, to know that they were the reason that your child's not coming home tonight? So this article goes on to say, a mom of two students at Robb Elementary School says she was handcuffed by officers as the shooter was still inside before she jumped a fence and ran into the school to safely retrieve, retrieve her children on Tuesday. Angeli Rose Gomez, a mother of a second grader and a third grader, told the Wall Street Journal she drove 40 miles to the Uvalde school and was one of numerous parents begging and yelling at the police officers to enter sooner to take out the 18-year-old gunman, coward, because that's the only word that I'll use instead of his name. And this article is by the New York Post, by the way. You can look up that topic that I just gave you. Okay? It says, after a few minutes, she said, a U.S. marshal placed her in handcuffs. The mother, who was trying to save her children, placed her in handcuffs. Stating that she was under arrest for intervening in an active investigation. According to the journal, it took almost an hour before Ramos, sorry, took almost an hour before the coward was killed by a specialized U.S. Border Patrol tactical team, authorities said. In that time, he gunned down 19 school children and two teachers. Now, what you'll find in a lot of these articles that are maintaining the side that they want to be on that is trying to maintain positivity surrounding what these police officers did is they will say that it was a U.S. Border Patrol tactical team. Not that it was an individual who was off duty who went against the orders of the police and took this man down. And again, it's early. Maybe, again, I don't want to act in absolutes here. I'm just reading stuff, trying to sift through it and come up with a, a good story, like good idea of what actually happened here. So hopefully, again, maybe something comes out. But it's, this is the mother who got arrested and then saved her children. So Gomez recognized a few Valde police officers, Uvalde police officers, and convinced them to tell the marshals to remove the cuffs. Just as I said, she knew three of them. Once freed, she distanced herself from the crowd, jumped the school fence, ran inside the school building, and grabbed her two children. The three sprinted out of the school together. 
got goosebumps. That's incredible. Every parent ever, and this is a hero. I will say her name over and over again. Angeli Rose Gomez is a hero. Not only did she cause enough of a stir to get herself arrested, then she convinced these cops to not to take the handcuffs off of her, and then she jumped the fence, got her children, and saved them from potentially the horrific things that happened to these other children. And I posted the video. I'm fairly positive she was the one getting arrested in the video that I posted. Okay, if you don't follow me everywhere, it's at Red Pill Revolt. You can see it. I posted it on Instagram. I posted it on TikTok. I posted it on Truth. Wherever you're at, you should be able to see it. Okay. Now, the article goes on to say that Gomez told the journal she decided to charge the school herself as officers waited outside the building, quote unquote, doing nothing. They were just standing outside the fence, she said. They weren't going in there or running anywhere. A spokesperson for the U.S. Marshal Services denied her account, telling the journal that deputy marshals never cuffed anybody outside of the school. We would never do that. Even though there's video evidence of it. That I posted. Harrowing videos captured the heartbreaking wails of parents who feared for their children's lives as they watched police loiter outside the school building. What are you doing? Get inside the building, a person howled in one video as another screamed, go protect the kids. Some fathers hopped the fence, smashed in classroom windows and pulled their kids out. A first responder told the post. The mom said she wasn't the only parent targeted by officers on the scene, which she described as chaos. She said she saw police tackle a father to the ground and pepper spray another. Officers tasered a third dad, tasered a parent, trying to make sure that their child is safe, tasered them, tasered their, their father, the father who was going to run in there and save their children while they sat outside doing quote unquote nothing. She said she saw police officers taser, pepper spray, and tackle another father to the ground. They didn't do that to the shooter, but they did that to us, Gomez told the journal, referring to herself and other parents. That's how I felt. So, who, who are you going to believe here? The individuals whose jobs are on the line, who not only their jobs, but their balls their like their their entire belief of who they are and who everybody thinks that they are is is riding on this not being true is riding on the idea that they oh they did everything they should have done they did it all right this mom has nothing to lose here she has no skin in the game besides the fact that her child was in there and she felt like nothing was being done as she watched other parents get tackled pepper sprayed and tasered while they were trying to save their children So, the next thing I'm going to pull up here is an article by Yahoo News, which talks about exactly what I just posted or what I was talking about there, which is the fact that a border patrol, a group of border patrol agents defied Uvalde police orders 
to remain outside of the school, and they were the ones who took down the shooter. Okay? So, all of those articles that are saying it was a tactical team, we did, we, we knew what we were doing. Did you? Because they defied your orders to go in there and save these children. And this is from Yahoo News. Okay? We're not, we're not fringe yet here. This is Yahoo News, okay? And the article of this, or the, top, the, the, the headline of this article says, Border Patrol agents defied Uvalde police orders to remain outside of school. All right, it says, The Border Patrol agents who killed the school shooter in Uvalde, Texas on Tuesday entered the school on their own accord after local law enforcement requested that they hold back. Two senior federal law enforcement sources told NBC News on Friday. The officers from BORTAC, Border Patrol's tactical unit, arrived at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde from a location about 40 miles away, according to the New York Times. Agents from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Homeland Security investigations arrived around the same time, the federal sources also told NBC. Local law enforcement asked the two teams to wait and then tasked HSI agents with pulling school children out of the classroom windows. BORTAC agents waited about 30 minutes 30 minutes and then decided to ignore local law enforcement's request to remain outside, entering the school and neutralizing the gunman. That's who did this. How much longer would this have gone on? How much longer if these guys, these heroes, the ones who actually did their jobs, not even their jobs, they're border patrol. They don't need to be jumping into school windows. They're border patrol. There was a SWAT team there. And these are the individuals that took this man, this coward down. Not even a man, coward. And they waited there for 30 minutes. And imagine how long those 30 minutes felt like, especially if you're somebody who believes what's going on is wrong. They must have just, oh my God, I cannot imagine the heart wrench. Again, with all of the sounds, all of the agony, all of the chaos, all the parents and then you sit there and watch the parents get tasered and pepper sprayed. 30 minutes they sat outside. And then finally they decided, screw that. We're going in and we're saving these children because that's what men, good men, good women, like that mom, do. They act. They don't retreat when an 18-year-old coward with a rifle same type of rifle you have is sitting there shooting at you. You move forward because it could have been two to three police officers lives who were lost compared to 19 children. And I'd say that's a pretty fair trade. And again, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I mean, and being a police officer who's going to be the first on scene in the school shooting is not for everybody. And I get it. But if you're in that position right now and you're, double, you're second guessing the fact that you would be the person to go in, maybe you should be second guessing your occupation. Because it may not happen to you, but it's going to happen. There was 29 school shootings between 2010 and 2020 alone. 29. 2.9 per year. Three school shootings. 50 states. 6% chance that it's in your state. How many major counties? Well, you work in a major county, 6% chance that it happens in your state. Do the math. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but there's a likelihood. There's a likelihood that you will be first on scene. 
And are you going to go in? Because if not, give up your badge, find a new job, and that's okay. What's not okay is sitting outside of a school for 90 minutes while you hear gunshots go off 50 feet from you and know that it's in a classroom full of children and you're sitting outside doing nothing with a rifle in your hands. This article goes on to say, Local law enforcement asked two teams to wait and then tasked HSI agents with pulling school children out of classroom windows. Bortac agents waited about 30 minutes and then decided to ignore local law enforcement's request to remain outside, entering the school and neutralizing the gunman. One of the Bortac agents sustained a graze wound to the head before killing the shooter. 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School in the deadliest shooting since 2012 shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School Officials identified the gunman as, insert coward's name here, an 18-year-old resident of Uvalde. Local officers waited too long to respond to enter the school and respond to the shooter. Texas Department of Public Safety Director Stephen McGraw told reporters at a press conference on Friday. McGraw said that the on-scene commander at the time of the shooting, Police Chief Peter Arandado, believed that the gunman had barricaded himself without additional, threat to ch- without additional threat to children at the school and that there was time to bring in more officers and equipment for a tactical breach. From the benefit of hindsight, where I am sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision, period. There's no excuse for that, McGraw said. There's your answer. They just told you. We should have went in sooner. There's no argument on that. They just said it. Okay, from the benefit of hindsight, it's the wrong decision. Okay, you can't argue that. That was from their mouth. Nobody else's are, that's, that's what they said. Okay, they know they should have done something differently. At least this one individual is saying that. Okay, now something even more interesting which we'll get to in a second. I'll finish out this article with you. But there's something about that police chief that comes up in the following days. Two days after, we'll find out that he starts to ghost, ghost follow-up investigators from other organizations who are trying to question this around him. And then even more interesting things happen right after that. All right? But before we do that, again, I need you to subscribe. I need you to leave a five-star review. This is the Red Pill Revolution podcast. Wherever you're at right now, go ahead and subscribe. Find it, leave a five-star review. I appreciate it so much. Also, there's only one way that you can support this podcast. And it's by going to the website, redpillrevolution.co.com is for losers, redpillrevolution.co. And you can actually get yourself. Um, so I was trying to find a way to monetize without doing, you know, me undies ads. Kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just, I don't know. Kind of weird. So no third-party ads here. The only thing, the only way that you can support this podcast is by going to our website and donating or by going to the link on our website, redpillrevolution.co, clicking the link and seeing um, and finding yourself some life insurance. It is directly with me, no third parties, redpillrevolution.co. I found myself a $63 policy for $2 million, okay? No third parties. You go directly through me. You'll see Red Pill Revolution right on the page there. Um, It's my license that you're under. No third parties, like I said. So that's the only way that you can support this podcast. Thank you so much for considering it.
All right. Now, what we're going to go over is the police chief. Okay. The Uvalde district police chief was gone for two days and then had a closed door ceremony. Okay. So let me read this. And again, this is from real news. No bullshit. It says breaking Uvalde school district police chief who was seen commander made the decisions that they shouldn't have gone in. He was the decision maker at the school shooting was sworn in as the city council, as a city council member behind closed doors yesterday. It says Pete Arandado, the Uvalde school district police chief was sworn in as a city council member a week after a mass shooting left 21 dead and many more injured. The chief who also served as the scene commander on the shooting was sworn in behind closed doors. Uvalde Mayor Don McLaughlin said, out of respect for the families who buried their children today and who are planning to bury their children in the next few days, no ceremony was held. Earlier last week, Arandado was elected to the city council. The mayor added that Arandado was duly elected and that there was nothing in the city charter, election code, or Texas constitution that prohibits him from taking the oath of office. To our knowledge, we are currently not aware of any investigation of Mr. Arandado. The new news comes as Arandado has not responded to investigators with Texas DPS in a statement on Tuesday. DPS said that the chief has not responded to a request for follow-up interviews with the Texas Rangers who are investigating the massacre. According to the officers we've interviewed, Arandado was the one who called on officers to stand down and wait for a tactical team before going into the school. So this man not only ghosts the Texas Rangers, They made some movies about the Texas Rangers. If you haven't seen them, they're good movies. Texas Rangers are crazy. At least they were crazy. Ghost the Texas Rangers who are doing the follow-up investigation into the shooting for two full days after he's the chief commander. If you didn't do anything wrong, why are you hiding? And also, it probably doesn't feel very good right now if you're the parent knowing the man who made the decision to not go in there and save your children is now city council member. A week after the shooting, after everybody knew what he did, after they already came out and said what he did was wrong. He gets a promotion, well, maybe not a promotion, but he also gets this, this other position of power after horrific, like literally the worst thing that you, I can't imagine. And again, from a empathetic perspective, he made a wrong decision and maybe that's all it was, right? And we'll get to more crazier stuff here coming soon. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but for right now, let's call it what it was. It was a bad decision. It's a bad tactical decision. I would say I'm probably not taking that city council member position. I'm probably getting out of the public eye as much as possible. I don't know. Seems weird to me. But then to ghost the Texas Rangers seems even more bizarre. For two full days after this, this happens, seems like you would want to cooperate to the utmost if you were that individual how horrified you would have to be for the situation that occurred, knowing full well that you did everything in your power to stop it. Or maybe you're questioning that. And that's why you go hide for two full days. I don't know. Okay. So this is where it's going to get fun. All right. It's a good time to be a conspiracy theorist. As my man, Joe Rogan would say, it's a good time to be a conspiracy right theorist because, you know, you got a lot of fucking ammunition. Got a lot of ammo. <laughs> it's a good time to be a conspiracy theorist because you got a lot of ammo. All right. So 
Now, I will preface this. This is not my opinion. This is the opinion of a small fringe minority of the internet who should not be thinking these thoughts. But they're thinking them, so I'm going to talk about them. <laughs> All right? So, this is a horrific thing to have to think of. Okay, this is a horrific path to go down. And it speaks to where our country is as a whole that we have such a, I don't know, maybe I'm caught up in some weird algorithms. Maybe I'm in some weird echo chamber. I don't know. I try to stay away from echo chamber. I, I try to get out there. I don't know. Maybe I am. I don't know. But it seems to me like these types of narrative questionings are becoming far more common. Far more common than in 2012 when the Sandy Hook sh shooting happened. Because if you said something about that then, everybody looked at you like you were crazy. Everybody. It was not a mainstream thought to think that. Okay, so this is a horrible thing to have to think of. It's a horrible thing to have to even try to talk yourself out of thinking. Okay, but there has been events that have happened. If you recall Ted Cruz who was questioning the director of the FBI, if I recall correctly, or somebody in that position who was in front of Congress being questioned on behalf of the FBI surrounding January 6th, saying that, if you recall this conversation, I can't answer that question. Was there an FBI agent who incited the January 6th situation? I can't answer that question. Was there any FBI agents on scene during the time of January 6th? I can't answer that question. Okay, so this gets us into a conversation about what he presented, which was the idea of a false flag. Okay, now again, I don't think this is the right opinion. I'm not saying I believe this. I'm not saying that at all. But there's definitely some weird things that have gone on that make you question narratives. Okay, and the fact that this is spilling into the mainstream speaks to where we are as a culture. And this is horrific. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, when we went back to like, the SH situation, that situation, there was people saying it doesn't exist, these people weren't real, this never happened, da 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 Okay, now I don't think it has to be that outrageous of a conversation. It doesn't have to be that outrageous at all. Think about it like this. You have an 18-year-old who's in mental anguish, whose mom's on meth, who's sick in the head, and he finds his own little echo chambers online. He goes to Reddit, he goes to 4chan, he goes to whatever place you go to when you're sick in the head, right? And finds other people who are sick in the head, okay? Because if you think, we already know the FBI knew of this individual, this coward. We already knew that, we already know that they knew of him prior to this, that he was potentially making these threats. We already know that. So we already know that they have software at all times that always identifies anybody who does anything like this. We already know that. We already know if they talk about that online, you're probably getting flagged and somebody knows about you. Okay. So my point is that it doesn't take strapping you down with a leather chair and sitting in front of a TV that has a swirly little thing in the middle to get you to do something like this. What it could be is two individuals, a part of an organization who has a vested interest in moving towards the, the, politicization of this conversation that convinces somebody who would may have never done this in the first place to do it. And they do that by, I don't know. Hey buddy. Yeah. 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 My mom's on meth too. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. It's all right, dude. It's all good. You know, mom's on meth. That's all right. You know, we got to take our anger out on the world though, man. You know, they go play some call of duty, you know, I'm not saying that has anything to do with it. 
They go play some Call of Duty. Oh, check out this rifle, man. Watch this clip on it. This is pretty cool. You've been saving your money, haven't you, man? Why don't you buy this one? This is cool. Oh, and get this magazine with it. And so it's these planting of seeds. It doesn't take this brainwashing television. It takes one, two, three people. According to some sources, he was speaking to some girl in Germany. His girlfriend or some girl that he had an interest in in Germany that he was talking to. And so all it takes is somebody like that. We've seen it where the people have been tried for convincing other people to commit suicide or commit atrocious acts like this. Okay, so it doesn't take a swirly TV sitting in front of you for you to, to, for, to convince somebody. It takes two, three, four accounts on Reddit, finding people who are already having these conversations and are mentally unhealthy, and then putting them and giving them every step and every thought that they need because they're agreeable, because they're easy to convince, because they're 18, stupid, their mom's on meth, and they have nothing good going on in their life. And it takes a couple little seeds that you can plant to get them to do it. Oh, hey, I know somebody at that school. Maybe we'll unlock the door for six minutes at this exact time. Not saying that was the case, but I'm saying that there's a situation that could present itself in some movie that could present itself this way. <laughs> All right. So that's the situation. It doesn't take a swirly TV. It doesn't take strapping you down to a leather chair. It takes two, three, four accounts on Reddit to find one individual who's talking about these things and then to put them in the right position to do so. Okay. So. It's not that crazy of an idea. And, and the reason that we're talking about these things right now is because there's been more conversations coming out. There's been CIA documents like Operation Northwoods, where our CIA, our own CIA, presented a document that was approved by the Joint Chiefs of Staff that said that we can attack college students. It says real or fake. Said that they were willing to kill college students and have people dress up as Cubans in order to try and convince the American people to go to war with Cuba. This is on paper. Operation Northwoods, CIA reading room. Go find it right now. Wrote a paper on it, okay? This is a real thing, okay? False flags have been presented in the past, okay? Presented. Operation Northwoods is one of them where they actually talked about potentially killing college-age students, to convince the United States to go to war with Cuba, okay? Now, another interesting conversation surrounding this is the idea that Joe Biden has come out now and said that he wants to demolish the school. Two days after the shooting happened, he wants to demolish the school, level it. He said he doesn't want these kids to have to go through the anguish, which, again, is a logical thought in some ways. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to go back to that school either. If I'm a parent, I'm absolutely pulling my child out of that school. They're not going back there. And I'm probably leaving that county so I never have to deal with those cops again. But Joe Biden's talking about demolishing the school. The other school, should, now I know Oxford, Oxford school, still standing there. Nobody's talking about demolishing it. Nobody. And you know what Oxford was? Oxford was a individual, a young kid who did it to his own school. And I think that's an interesting conversation to have too. There's a difference, right? You see Columbine, Columbine, all of these different school shootings where somebody was at the school. They went to the school. They have a reason that they feel like this hatred for that place, right? These people, they did this to me. Whatever that thought is, that horrific thought, right? Whatever that is, there's a reason. They go into their own school and they do these things. For somebody to randomly drive a truck that wasn't theirs with $89,000 worth of weaponry 
to so happen to crash right next to the school to go to the back door at the exact time that it was opened in a school that has, if you don't know anything about elementary school security, it's pretty damn good. Like there's pin pads. You got to get buzzed in. They bring it back to the front desk lady. She goes, hello. And you go, hi, I'm here to pick up so-and-so. And then they see the picture of you. They know it's you. They know you're her parent. And then they let them go. This is not the seventies, right? There's, there's see things that have been put in place for this not to occur. And the fact that the back door happened to be open for a short period of time during this time is weird. Okay. Now, I think it's important to discuss the fact that, again, I don't think any of this. Not a bit. All right? I'm just discussing what some people are saying online. The small fringe minority of people. All right, so the other school that was demolished immediately following, well, not immediately, it was four years after, was Sandy Hook. Weird. Weird coincidence. Okay? Now, also what I'm saying about that, if I go back and take a step back again to that where I forgot where I was going with that was the fact that what type of individual goes into a random elementary school? You have nothing. You, where is your rage being oriented? Unless you're literally just like clout chasing to be the villain of the century. Why would you go do this in that school? Right? It's not your school. He didn't even go to school. He was out. Why are you going into an elementary school and doing these things? It makes no sense. And it was the same thing in Sandy Hook. Made no sense. Why? What is the motive? What is the reason that you go into that school? Why? It makes no sense. When you have something like Columbine happen, when you have something like Oxford happen, there's the writing was on the wall, right? There's the bullying, there's the this, there's the that, there's the, you know, all of the, whatever you want to call it. This makes no sense at all. Makes no sense to me. No sense. So, now what I also think is interesting is the fact that this shooting happened a day before, and maybe we'll end on this topic, we'll lighten things up a little bit in a minute, <laughs> um, but back to being talking about a serious tragedy. Um, this, this happened to happen the day before the Johnny Depp trial adjourned. The day before it adjourned. right? I think it'd be interesting if you put up like a calendar right on your wall, and every time there was a major celebrity event, in a major political event, in something horrific that happens, a war breaks out, a pandemic breaks out, you know, you, you list it all on the calendar, right? Like Will Smith slaps the shit out of host of Oscars. Uh, war breaks out. Then the next one would be uh, um, Johnny Depp sues Amber Heard for the most ridiculous clown trial you've ever seen. And now school shooting. So if you like overlay all these major catastrophic, both celebrity and horrific and geopolitical events that happened, what would that calendar look like? I don't know. Be an interesting calendar. Be an interesting calendar. So on the backs of that, that will conclude my conversation about Uvalde, Texas. But we will continue on about Amber Heard. If you didn't hear... Amber Heard lost her trial against Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp won the trial for the defamation lawsuit and will be awarded a sum of $350,000. Now, the reason there was a $350,000 is originally Johnny Depp sued Amber Heard for $50 million, and then she countersued for $100 million, 
and then he won the 50 million case, but none of it mattered because there was a $350,000 cap for the state. I don't know. If you watch the event, you watch it unfold, there's many, many people, almost everybody believes that Amber Heard was crazy and she was making all of this up. All of it. You watch the trial, she seemed to be in character, she seemed to be, you know, um, losing her place and stories. There was a lot of things that she said that happened that were proved wrong according to the lawyers and the legal counsel of Johnny Depp and according to the jury. So $350,000 that Amber Heard will now owe Johnny Depp in a crazy, weird trial that is now diverting us from our original serious conversation, which is exactly the point that I was trying to make before, is if you can divert the conversation when something horrific like this happens, right? And, and, and also, it's interesting to note what is going on during that calendar time frame where there was Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, Uvalde, Texas, World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum Summit in Davos just so happened to be happening during all of this. That's what our next episode was. I'm sitting on a bunch of clips from Davos in the World Economic Forum Summit right now. Bill Gates saying all sorts of crazy shit. All of this crazy stuff that's going on in Davos right now. And our conversation's been diverted effectively and rightfully when something horrific like this happens, right? I'm not claiming to know anything other than what you guys know. I think it's horrific. It's a tragedy. It's terrible that it happened. I feel so horrifically bad for these parents. I can't imagine being in your position. I can't even put it into words. It's weird to me that all of these things tend to happen in, you know, blocks. But I don't know. So anyways, our next episode will be on the World Economic Forum. And on Davos, unless some crazy shit happens between now and then that I feel the need to jump on here and do another podcast with and push that out. But <laughs> it has concluded Amber Heard, so let's watch out for the next crazy celebrity political situation. Maybe Jennifer Lawrence is going to, I don't know, uh, do an MMA fight against Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is the more outrageous thing than the last Will Smith slapping him and... Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's trial. I don't know. But in the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you so much. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. If you don't think that this was a five-star podcast, that's okay. I love feedback. Okay? Leave me a comment. Send me a message. Email me, austin at redpillrevolution.co.com is for losers. You can also go to redpillrevolution.co.com. I almost messed that up. Redpillrevolution.co right now. And you can sign up to be a uh, subscriber for donations. That is one of the only ways that you can help support me besides going ahead and checking out the life insurance quotes on the website. Click the link. Like I said, $2 million, $63 a month. That's crazy. I don't know. Maybe my wife is going to kill me and get in a really nice lump sum. <laughs> According to a bunch of Netflix documentaries, that happens quite often. Um, but $2 million gives me the peace of mind to know that no matter what happens to me, my family is taken care of. Um, I am not leaving my, my kids, my wife in a situation where they're left out in the dust because something happens to me. Okay. Redpillrevolution.co, cover your assets, support the show, um, you know, protect yourself, protect your family. That's all it takes. All right. So um, I have been going live on TikTok during these shows. So go ahead and follow me on TikTok at 
Red Pill Revolt. You can see the show live. I'm going to start doing that every week. Um, so I hope you guys are enjoying it. I'm going to stick around after this for a few minutes and run through your comments. Uh, maybe go through some questions you guys have um, and, I don't know, chat for a little bit. So um, as of right now, that concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you so much. And welcome to the revolution. Have a great day.